the space. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the mysterious Matt. Hello there. So, today, we're talking about the Unicorn and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. The which episode seventh is it? episode. Seventh episode of Series 4. From the 17th of May, 2008. Yes, uh, written by one Gareth Roberts. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you may remember contributed our favourite episode for Series 3, The Shakespeare Code. Oh, great. Got a, <laughs> got a knack for uh, the old historical episodes. Yes, um, um, apparently, Russell T. Davis saw that episode and thought, yes, let's do that again, but with Agatha Christie this time. Uh-huh. And had absolute faith in Gareth Roberts. So, man for the job. does that mean you love this episode? You've got a special place for the historicals? I do. I'm partial to a historical. I like it sometimes when it features a writer. I mean, they obviously they directly reference the the Dickens mm-hmm. episode. This one, I'm quite dead, which is still one of my favourites from series one. I think it's a big step up from Shakespeare Code. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say good episode. Well, I'm going to surprise you because I hate the historical yeah, episode. Yeah, I quite like this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. It's breezy. I think I, it I all... can't I can't put my finger on like one thing I really <laughs> liked about it but I watched this and the episode from last week yeah. the doctor's daughter yeah in one sitting yeah and when the doctor's daughter finished and it showed me the preview of this episode and it was like yeah. oh, for fuck's sake it's yeah. the 20s yeah and then as I watched it I was like this is all right actually yeah I, I mean it's a bit of fun it's not trying to be anything more than a bit of fun really mm. So, you, you know, you can't hold that against it. I would say it maybe unravels a bit in the third act. Yeah. I think there's, the, the there's, resolution is... There's one bit that's uh, absolutely just bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get there when we get there. Um, so, yeah. Should we just dive into it? Yeah, let's just go for it. So, as we've said, the TARDIS lands at a country house in the 1920s. And we meet Professor Peach. And... The Reverend, I've called him. Yeah. And they've arrived at this house for a party. Yes. So Lady Clemency Edison is having a party. She is indeed. And they're welcomed by, like, the staff of the house. Yes. I think there's, like, a head butler. Yeah. And they're shown to their quarters. Yes. But Professor Peach researches in a secret library. He's... Delving through papers. Yeah, he's got a little theory that he's trying to test. Yeah, and he seems to be doing a good job. Yeah. Until he's attacked by a giant wasp. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we talked last week about fish people. Yeah. I haven't even got the people here, it's just a big old wasp. It is, yeah. Just a big big wasp this week. That's what we're doing. I, growing up, um, so I have two brothers, an older brother, a younger brother. Uh Uh-huh. And... On a weekly basis, me and my older brother used to get a magazine each. Uh-huh. So I was subscribed to a magazine called Dinosaurs. Good, good choice. Yeah. 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 I think there'll be a lot of people our age remember that. Week I by week, you got part of a T Rex skeleton you could I build. See. I don't specifically remember it, but just the very mere fact that it's a magazine about dinosaurs, you know, yeah. suggests that it's going to be. Have some it was good very to much it. in the middle of the Jurassic Park generation. Yeah. But yeah. my older brother used to get one called The Ancestral Trail. Ooh. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't think I am. But week by week, it was basically a fantasy story. Ah. And every week, 
or every month, I think it maybe was, you got a little magazine and the boy would face a monster uh-huh. and, you know, you'd get a little booklet that was about how this monster was based on something from mythology. Ah. Um, so, like, for example, one week he fought a minotaur and then you'd get a little bit about Roman mythology. But there was one where I think it was, like, I don't know if it was specifically a wasp or just, like, a giant insect person. And as a child, I couldn't even look at the front cover. Really? Because it was that horrible and nasty. So it immediately brought back memories of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone looks at a wasp and thinks, oh, what a lovely friend. No, they're nature's bastards. They they really are. Um, So the thought of a giant, like one bigger than a man, Mm. not a pleasant thought, is it? No, no. So anyway, but yeah, uh, but specifically, we know because the the dialogue is quite corny. That the <laughs> Professor Peach says, "What are you doing with that lead piping?" Yeah. To the wasp. So we know that that despite it being wasp, it somehow lodged him. I don't know because is is he killed before it? We see the big wasp. Maybe I can't remember the exact sequence of events now. I, I don't know if he's killed by a man with a pipe. Or a giant wasp. Either way, he's yeah. battered over the head. Yeah. And there's a giant wasp present. And, like, it's the reference here is pretty obvious. You know, classic bit of Cluedo nonsense. Yeah. I, I expect the original draft said Professor Plum, and then the BBC legal team will probably like, you probably yeah. can't get away Milton Bradley once. games got in contact. <laughs> yeah. So then we get the titles, and following that, we're introduced to Lady Clemency Edison. Played by Felicity Kendall. Yeah, always good to see her. Yeah, absolutely. I was a fan of The Good Life. Aren't we all? I remember specifically, maybe in my early twenties, possibly when I just finished uni, I used to get up for work, and my dad would just be watching The Good Life on like BBC. No, it'd be on UK Gold or oh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, sounds right. Because we always used to get up and watch uh, All Creatures Great and Small. Oh, and right, I think... so you're quite familiar with Peter Davison from that. Yep, yeah, yeah. And then when it finished, um, we just watched The Good Life. <laughs> so, yeah, Felicity Kendall. And introduced to the Doctor and Donna. Yeah. And she says that the unicorn is on the loose, Ooh. which is mysterious. It but is. then she explains that the unicorn is a jewel thief. Yeah. And she's worried, obviously, she lives in this stately home. She obviously comes from money. Mm-hmm. She's concerned that the unicorn is going to be taking her yeah. property, basically. Could well be. So, uh, unfortunately, we've, I mean, we've already got the wasp part of the episode title sorted. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not going to be having a literal unicorn as well no. this week. No. But you make do with but what you get. We're then introduced to Rabina Redmond. Yeah. Did you recognise the actress? Yeah, it's uh, it's another Felicity, isn't it? Yeah, Felicity Jones. Yeah. From Rogue One. Yes, I know her from literally nothing else. Just these two things. I don't know. I've maybe seen her in the odd thing, but yeah. specifically Rogue One. Yeah. I think Rogue One's underrated as a Star Wars film. I would rank it very highly in the, the Disney era. Uh, it, it's the Star only Wars Star Wars film, apart from maybe the last one, The Last Jedi. Yeah. That actually shows the war part of yes. Star Wars. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, because um, Force Awakens just sort of like drifts by, doesn't it? In yeah, a fairly 
yeah, unobtrusive fashion. So yeah, so we've got Felicity Jones here. Yeah. And then Agatha Christie turns up. Yeah, because why not? And then I would say, do you recognise the actress? But when I Wikipedia'd her, she's not really been in anything else. Yeah, she but she's actually pretty good in this. Oh, she is very well cast hmm. in this, and I think she's actually got a bit of a likeness to uh, Agatha Christie as well. So like, very well cast. But, but the big twist is yeah. when the Doctor checks the date of the newspaper. Today's the day that Agatha Christie disappears. Yeah. So now, did you know this story? No, yeah. no. So I, at first, I thought it literally meant she disappeared. Because it explains that she disappears, yeah. her car is found, yeah. and then she turned up, is it two or three days later? Yes. In a Harrogate hotel? Yes. That's... But it said that she... When it says she suffered memory loss, yeah. I thought following that Agatha Christie had permanent memory loss and never wrote again. Yeah, no, but no, it just means just, yeah. she can't remember where she'd been. Yeah, she basically it's and, and like scholars have pretty much agreed on the fact that it was just the trauma of the breakup of her marriage mm-hmm. caused a sort of uh, psychic episode, and she kind of blacked out effectively mm-hmm. for a few days she went on the piss potentially shit like that might have been part of it like who knows no. but but, but two anyway. days missing she had been yeah. on the lash potentially but but anyway yeah so but it, it was like it was uh, headline news at the time because her, her disappearance was reported quite quickly and mm. so there was a bit of a national search on for Agatha Christie she Christmas was just day. in Harrogate yeah can't, out. can't blame her it's nice yeah it's a nice nice uh, enough town got nice Turkish baths. I'll take your word for it. Never been. Oh, it's amazing. It's got a nice Betty's cafe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I quite like Harrogate. I, I don't, you know, honestly, I'm not a big fan. Really? I mean, it's, it's all right, but it's like, I don't, I don't know whether I can quite put my finger on it, the, the vibe of it, but I just, um, if I'm going to be swanning about in a city in our neck of the woods, then I'd, I'd choose York over Harrogate. Yeah. I mean, York get, obviously is very, it gets very busy and touristy. But The uh, thing is, every so often I'll think, oh, I've gone to York a lot recently. Yeah. I'll go somewhere else. So I might go to Middlesbrough, I might yeah. go to Darlington, Leeds, Harrogate. And I just, when, as soon as I get there, I'm like, oh, I wish I was in York. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of which, <laughs> today is... Yorkshire Day. Is it? It is. Oh, happy Yorkshire Day. Yeah. Yorkshire and proud. I mean, who 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 choose who chose that it was Yorkshire Day? Probably today? the Yorkshire Tourism Board. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fairly nice day here in Yorkshire. Yeah. Good, yeah. good day. I watched a really Yorkshire. good uh, documentary. I say documentary. It was like nine minutes of an old news clip about a Yorkshire tradition. It was, uh-huh. I can't remember what the game was called. And it was basically like golf. Right. But you had a contraption that you stepped on that hit the ball in the air. And then you had to swing at it. So imagine golf, but someone throws the golf ball in the air first. And the aim was simply to hit it as far as you could. And I was just entrenched. But it said the main tradition in this game was arguing. So as soon as someone says, oh, it's your go, you had to argue. And it was like a twenty-minute activity that took like a day. What I was this a genuine news clip or was it just a no, 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 one hundred percent. And it was just like, yeah, the key tradition involved in this sport oh. is arguing. So, like, if you I... hit it and the referee goes, <laughs> "Oh, that was a hundred yards," 
you have to say, oh, I'd call it 101. That sounds fun. I, I need a link to that. It's the most spurious thing I'd ever seen, but yeah. Yeah, sounds delightful. Good old Yorkshire. Right, uh, back on track then. So, Agatha Christie. Yeah. We So, I, I always like it when you've got a uh, historical episode and they actually take a specific historical event to mm-hmm. work a bit of Doctor Who nonsense around. So, yeah. you know, already I feel like this is one step ahead of the Shakespeare Code, which, I mean, yes, it had the whole thing of, like, was Love's Labour's one a real play or not but this i think is a little bit juicier so in my notes i've just put the maid goes to get professor peach but he is dead yeah and the maid screams she freaks out yeah so the doctor donna and agatha christie rush to the library and as they're searching Agatha sort of withholds some of the evidence from the Ooh, doctor. She does, yeah. She very slyly pockets a little scrap of paper. Yeah, so it was by the fireplace. I don't know whether it's like mistrust or whether she wants to be the one to crack this case, but for whatever reason, she hides evidence yeah. from the doctor. Yeah. So the doctor finds his own evidence. He finds some morphic residue. Yeah. Which he explains that. You know, when certain things change form, yeah. obviously there might be an alteration in mass. So the residue is just what's left behind. Yeah, it's a good enough bit of sci-fi nonsense as any. And it, it, it sets up the key idea in this episode that we've got this murder mystery, yeah. but the suspect could be anyone. Yes, it's a shape we, changer. We know what? it's yeah. a giant wasp, but it could be... Yeah, anybody. Any of these party guests that we've been introduced to could yeah. could be. So a, I think that's quite what I liked about this episode, yeah. in that its whole premise is different. In that it's a murder mystery. Yeah, it is doing an Agatha Christie story. Yeah, yeah. But fused with a Doctor Who. This story. isn't, you know, you paint by numbers like oh, turns out the stately homes a spaceship. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know. So we've got that premise is set up. Yes. At this point. Yeah. Uh, Have we sort of run through the uh, the various guests that we've well, got? I guess we're I, getting to it, aren't we? Yeah. We, so yeah. when he interviews the suspects, yeah. I've made notes on each yeah. of them. And I, I, yeah, so that's the next th- step, isn't it, in their investigation is yeah, so interviewing. Before that, Donna says, you know, oh, we're doing a murder mystery with Agatha Christie. Yeah. This must be like meeting Dickens at Christmas with yeah, ghosts. Yeah, and that's where we get a sort of lampshaded yeah. moment, but... I like that. I think it just yeah. bring back traumatic memories for you. Uh, I, I don't know whether I should tell you this or not. Because uh-huh. I don't think I've got it to hand. But I've had in my car since season one a book of Christmas tales from Charles Dickens that I meant to give you as a <laughs> gift at the end of season one. And it was only the other day that I unpacked my car after about eight months. And I was like... All oh, right, sort of oh. past its sell-by date now, isn't it? Oh, right. It's yours if you want it. Either that or it's going on the fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, it's at this point that the Doctor starts to question all the suspects. So, we're going to run through them. Yeah. So, we have the aforementioned Reverend. Yeah. So, when questioned, he was unpacking. Yeah. And... We see him do that. There's nothing really untoward in what he was doing. Yeah, it's perfectly harmless, but also makes perfect sense. You know, he's just arrived for the weekend. It's, you know, 
Yep. What would you do? You'd be unpacking. Then we have Lady Edison's son. Yes. Roger Kerbishley. Yeah. Who was just having a walk. Yes, innocently, on his own, definitely nothing else going on. And of course, uh, we, we, you know, with each tale, we're getting a flashback to what, what they were actually doing. Yeah, so we're, to- we're told by them what was happening, but yeah. we see what was actually happening. Yes, and so um, turns out he was actually having a little romantic tryst with the footman. Yes. So I think it's alluded to earlier, I think they mention it, that essentially all men of wealth at this time yeah. were perhaps the dabbling in homosexual relationships. I mean, it's as common as any other I think I think it's Donna that yeah. says it when she comes on to him and yeah. she says, oh, all the good ones are gay. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. acknowledged earlier. Yeah. We then question Rabina Redmond. Uh, she was just getting ready. I think she says, oh, I just popped to the loo. Yeah. I mean, when she sat on the loo, we see a loaded gun. (laughs) (laughs) There's obviously a little bit more to her. Yeah. We don't know for definite what that is yet. So Edison's husband, Hugh Kerbishley, was just in in his study. Yes, yeah. Uh, He's a a sort of retired colonel type. He's in a wheelchair. And yeah, he says he was reading like war memoirs. But he was just reading erotica, <laughs> yeah. or what passed for erotica. And I like that it it, it it gets a bit inceptiony with his one as well because within his flashback, it then goes into his mind, and whilst he's looking at the uh, the pinup girl, it then like we start hearing can can music, and yeah. like it transitions into like footage of a can can show. And then the doctor asks him to snap back out of it. So he then returns to saying, like, well, I was in my study reading. And now they're all the way out of it. So it's like, it sort of becomes this recursive layer upon layer. We get similar (laughs) when the doctor questions Edison herself. Because she says, I was just taking afternoon tea. Yes. And we find out she was basically boozing. Yeah. And then... She says, and then I went out onto the lawn and I said, hello, doctor. <laughs> yeah. and, and the doctor cuts her off and says, yeah, I was there for that bit. I, yeah. know, I know the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think it's fair to say the humour is hitting a bit more with this episode than it did with Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. And we, we get the feeling that everyone's got a hidden agenda. Here. Yeah, definitely. Perhaps with the exclusion of the Reverend. Yeah, who's just a perfectly innocent, nice man. Yeah, his story matched up to what he was telling the Doctor. Yeah. Everyone else telling lies, kind but, of trust. Yeah, and, but none of them have alibis. Yeah. So, the Doctor then questions Agatha Christie. Yeah. Says, you know, I saw your reflection in the glass in the library. I saw that you picked up some more evidence. And she shares with him a piece of paper that says Maiden. Yes. So they're unable to deduce what that was. Mm -hmm. So whilst they're thinking about it, they send Donna off to go search for more clues. Yeah. And Uh, the Doctor gives her a big magnifying glass. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just to kind of like really hit it on the nose. So in her search, Donna orders the butler to open a locked room. She's told that Edison, in her youth, had travelled, I think, to India. Yes. And when she returned, contracted malaria. And she was bedridden for six months in yeah. this room. Yeah, no one was allowed in around. And did they say nobody's been in this room for... 40 years. 40 years. 
that's right. Yeah. Okay. So they open it and it's just a pristine bedroom. Yeah. So again, the story matches up. There's nothing untoward until Donna investigates. She opens the curtains because she can hear a buzzing. She thinks there's a bee trapped in the room. And there's just the massive wasps there. Yeah, it smashes through the window. Yeah. Uh, and it's attacking... Well, it's attempting to attack Donna. Yeah. She uses the giant magnifying glass to focus the sun's rays. Yeah. It burns the wasp, which gives her time to exit the room. Yeah. Except it sticks its sting through the door. Yeah. So... And that we assume at this point it then departs. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we get an explanation because ordinary wasps, when they lose their sting, causes them to die. The doctor says creature of this size would be able to regenerate, create yeah. a new one. So the doctor begins investigating this wasp. Yes. Now, outside, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you about this bit. No, 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 go I, for it. I'm not convinced by this next scene okay so we get the maid from earlier yeah is walking alongside the house yeah she looks up and there's a big stone gargoyle yeah that is pushed onto her yeah now one of two things are going to happen yeah when you're hit by a gargoyle yeah say it hits you on top it's going to hit you on the head yeah dead straight away absolutely right it might you know, it could graze your shoulder, could hit you on the foot, and you'd probably be able to walk away from that. I yeah. mean, maybe a few broken bones. <laughs> yeah. Right? But what happens to this maid is sort of neither of those. <laughs> so she seems to have a little bit of blood coming from her mouth. Yeah. And she's still alive because she's able to speak. Well, for a second. Yeah. yeah. So my question is, what happened with it? Where did uh, the gargoyle hit her? Well, it, when we find her, she's li- she's laid out on the floor. It's on her midriff. Is it? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm of, not certain I remember but, that. But bit. that implies that she was having a little lie down for a second. Yeah, how, how has that happened? <laughs> the reason did it land yeah. next to her and then topple over? How that happens is the fact that this is a family show and they can't have a scene like that moment with Adam Buxton's <laughs> character in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, see that... <laughs> That's what I was thinking was going to happen. Yeah. But Full it, blown exploding head. I think what would have happened if they hadn't needed her, needed her to deliver that line, then we may have just cut away and heard what had happened and left, left it to our imaginations. But they needed her to have that line where she says, that poor child. Yes, it's convenient that it killed yeah. her just enough that she was able to impart Say that those words. But again, this is consistent with the tropes of an Agatha Christie story. And therefore, you let it slide in a way you maybe wouldn't in another episode. Yeah. So, that's just weird. Yeah. So, the Doctor sees the giant wasp and it attacks, but Donna's able to scare it away. Yeah. Just by sort of waving the the uh, the magnifying glass at this point. She doesn't even focus. She's like, just remember this fella. So, I think your distance. They give chase. Yeah. And as soon as they turn into a big corridor, all the doors open. And all the potential suspects. Yeah, because he tried to see what the commotion is. Yeah, he, he he sort of says, "Show yourself," and yeah. they all they all come out at once. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, could be any of them still. So Agatha is upset at this point that she can't seem to solve the mystery. Yeah. But she does find a box 
in a flower bed. Yeah. And again, she just sort of goes, oh, by the way, Donna, those flowers look a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one would notice that. She goes, oh, they were all stood up. It looks like... You'd just assume that was like a hedgehog or something. Yeah, yeah, but obviously we're taking liberties with the fact that, you know, because she's a mystery writer, she has this eye for detail. Yeah. She's like Batman. She misses nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so she so finds it's this a box, box of... of thieves' tools. It's yes. lockpicks and yeah. what have you. Yeah. And she suspects now that the unicorn is present. Yeah. These are the tools of the unicorn. I mean, we could have seen that coming because the episode is called The Unicorn and the Wasp and they establishing the first scene that there is a jewel thief called the unicorn so it'd be a, a bit disappointing if then the unicorn was just off on another job for the entire episode yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so whilst her and donna are investigating this the doctor realizes he's been poisoned with cyanide oh yes yeah so they're, they're sitting there kind of pouring over what the, the facts they have for them so far in the drawing room um Butler comes in, hands them all a drink, and yeah, turns out he's just cheerily down with some cyanide. Yeah, so the suspects or the perpetrator realises the doctor's getting close to solving this case. Yeah. The best thing to do is just to off him. Yeah. So, in order to cure his poisoning... Yeah. He eats some nuts. Yeah, he like races down to the kitchen. I, I, I think we need to do this, do do this scene justice because I think it's probably the best scene in the episode. Mm, I don't know. I like it a it's lot. A bit silly for me. I really like it in all of its silliness. So, so the doctor is sort of like gasping and groaning. He sort of hurries down to the kitchen and is like sort of half talking, half miming to to, to Donna, saying like, basically, he can expel the toxins in in the poison Mm -hmm. but he needs his body to go through certain functions in order to do that so the first thing is he needs uh protein protein so donna grabs him some walnuts jobs are good in next thing he starts miming a salt shaker yeah and donna is not cottoning on at all he manages to gasp (laughs) out salt and eat something salty donna starts hurrying through uh grabs a bag of salt and says, how about this? He says, <laughs> no, too salty. Yeah. Uh, eventually settles on anchovies. Uh, then he needs a shock. So the D- Donna just kisses him, snogs him. Yeah. Does the job. And he manages yeah, and to... He's right as rain after yeah. that. So in keeping with the idea of being poisoned, at dinner that evening, it turns out the doctor has put pepper yeah. In everyone's soup. Yeah. So it contains a chemical used in insecticides. Yeah. He's hoping by consuming the pepper, he's able to draw the wasp out of hiding. Yeah. I bet you that was just a bit of Wikipedia research. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Gareth Roberts did. I don't know if he, as a as a science teacher, can you I, I think it, it will yeah. be the case. Yeah. But, yeah, it it it's science that's sort of just brushed over. Yeah. It's like, that's happening. Just... Yeah. We've just got to go with it, yeah. Um, so, the wasp appears. I think there's the lights somehow go out. Yeah, all it's the, just a stormy evening. Yeah, all like the candles the blow, out blow out at once. Yeah. yeah, The wasp appears and scares everyone. Yeah. So that there's, there's a little bit of running about, a little bit yeah. of hiding. Yeah. And when it calms down, Roger, who is the son. Yes. 
has a knife in his back. He's face yeah. down in a bowl of soup. Yeah. And Lady Edison's necklace is missing. So the Doctor can't figure out why it didn't kill them all. Mm. Why is it targeting certain people? And what does it want? These are important questions. Mm. So we get the second round of interrogations now. So the Doctor calls upon Agatha to solve this mystery. So yeah. one by one then. We start with Rabina Redmond. The thieves' tools were outside her window, and we get the revelation that she's probably not the real Redman. The real Redman probably never left London. Yeah. She is, in fact, the unicorn. unicorn. Yeah. So once she was fearful, she'd been rumbled, threw the tools out the window yeah. to cover her track. And then we get a cut from Redmond, who's quite well-spoken, yeah. Down to like some sort of Cockney accent. Yeah, it's very unconvincing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like in order to do that character justice, they would be better off casting someone whose natural accent is a Cockney accent yeah. who can do a passable posh voice than yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't quite convince. But but uh, anyway, yeah, she is the unicorn. So that's the first revelation. Yeah. The second one comes with Hugh Kirbishley, yeah. Edison's husband. Yeah. When it turns out he can just walk. Yes, because she... And I like the reveal here where Agatha Christie like points a finger at it and, and, and you, um, and he just sort of is like immediately, oh, the jig is up. So he, he stands up, he does this confession. It's a very heartfelt confession. Mm-hmm. It's just because when he got back from the war, obviously he was injured for a while, and that kept his wife close to him, and he grew accustomed to that and was worried that she was going to go astray yeah and so you know he just remained in the wheelchair and then Agatha Christie says oh no I was going to say you're completely innocent (laughs) and he just had that confession for nothing right then we get Edison and her revelation is that she never actually contracted malaria yeah the time she spent behind a locked door she was in fact pregnant yeah and this is where this is the one bit that I really struggle with okay. with this episode. Yeah. So what well, the entire sort of crux of the uh, pretty much story. Yeah. So yeah. she she was in India. That yes. bit's true. Yeah. And she saw a shooting star. Yeah. And the next day she fell in love with an alien. Yeah. She she fucked a wasp man. See, that's the thing. We've talked at length. <laughs> yeah. About fucking a cat. Yes. When the human race fucks cats and yeah. fucks trees. Yeah, yeah. But a wasp is where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> he was a very charming wasp by all accounts. Yeah, so he had been sent to learn about the human race. Yeah. And was able to take human form. And in the midst of their romance, there was a huge flood. Yeah. And he was washed away. Yeah. So the uh, the... The name of the alien species, Vespiform. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it, it, for the, a second you might... Does that literally thinking, just mean wasp form? Yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah, so um, for a second you might have been thinking, oh, good, we've got an episode here where it isn't just aliens. It no, is. No, it's aliens. It's always aliens. <laughs> wasp alien this week. You know, and she saw a shooting star. Shooting star was a spaceship. It's yes. always a spaceship. Yeah, it's always a spaceship. It's always aliens. Yeah. Anyway. So... We then discover that Professor Peach, 
from earlier in the episode had solved this mystery. Yes. The maiden on the piece of paper was from maiden name that would have been on the child's birth certificate. Yes, so he was obviously trying to research... I mean, we don't know why on earth. It seems like he was just poking his nose in somebody else's business for no good reason. Mm. Got no motivation for why Professor Peach might have been investigating this secret love child. Mm. Maybe he just was going to sell it to the papers for a few bit, Bob. But uh, but then yeah, we get a bit of a jump in logic here, I think. Yeah. Because it turns out that the Reverend is that child. Yeah. So he, as a baby, had been taken to a Christian orphanage. Yeah. That's how he developed his religious beliefs. Yeah. Now, he, he could have gone... This is just a bit too coincidental for my liking. Yes. That he just happened to become the Reverend in the town. I mean, I guess if they'd just taken him to the nearest orphanage and that had yeah. been like one town over or something. Maybe. It's not the biggest stretch in this episode, I don't think. I'm not saying it's not a stretch. I'm just saying that there are... Is it more conceivable than a woman fucking a wasp? I would say so. For, for someone to go <laughs> to an orphanage and stay in that general geographic vicinity yeah. into adulthood, I would say is... is... Growing up... Yeah. Whenever I was naughty, my mum and dad always threatened to take me to the local orphanage, which I, d- I don't know if you know it in the next town over. I from think where I do. It's a huge, imposing building yeah. on top of a hill. And for years I was terrified that I'd be taken to this children's home. Yeah. And it was only when I got to about the age of 14, 15, I realised for the past 100 years it had just been local council offices. It had been converted. <laughs> it just said children's home on the gates. <laughs> So that was always my mum's threat if I was uh, naughty that I'd get taken to the children's home. That's devious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really upsetting. She really damaged me. <laughs> Threats like that. Um, so the Reverend in his local church had recently been burgled by yeah. two stereotypical burglar types. Yeah. And that caused him to become so angry for the first time in his life. That it broke the genetic lock. Yes. Yeah. So, so he became so angry he turned into a wasp. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my biggest fears. But well, one the, day you'll I'm, get so enraged. Yeah. You'll turn into a wasp. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to be, I don't know, watching Channel Four News one day or something, and just you know they'll have an interview with Boris Johnson, and I'll just I'll be it. I'll snap <laughs> and turn into a wasp. <laughs> yeah. If it I, could happen. If I find you one day upside down in a giant bottle of Ribena. <laughs> you all know what's happened. Or, you know, when you come around my house, but you're just headbutting into the window. <laughs> like, oh, God. Right. So it turns out the jewel that Edison has been wearing. Yes, the Firestone, the, I believe they call that's it. That's what it's called. Yeah. Is actually a telepathic recorder. Sure, I guess. And it reminded the vicar who he is. Yeah. Which is a giant wasp. So how did that happen? Because Edison had that stone. Yeah. But because of the genetic thing, because she's his mother. Because <laughs> this is this is the big stretch of the episode. Because it's, it's all kind of coming at once. But basically, she's wearing the fire stone. That, I believe, has been part of the thing that's been keeping his wasp form under lock and key, effectively. Mm -hmm. But that's now broken out because of the traumatic incident of the church being burgled. Um, 
whilst that's happening, she's sat in her uh, her living room reading a bit of Agatha Christie. Yeah. Sort of probably boning up before Christie's arrival at the party. So she can sort of like say, oh, I love your latest book. Um, and because of that, it's somehow, in addition to like having the link between him and his mother, it also forms this link between him and Agatha Christie yeah. and sort of pollutes his brain. So that's how he devises his kills. Yes. Is using the murders from an Agatha Christie book. Yes, he's and basically that's why the these templates. events are following the premise. Yes. Yeah. It's a stretch, isn't it? It, it had my head spinning. Because <laughs> it was like, so he's a wasp, but he's also her son. Yeah. But he's also a little bit Agatha Christie. Yes. Yeah. All of those things are true. No wonder he went on a rampage. Like, <laughs> my head was spinning. Imagine how he yeah. felt. So, yeah. So, at this point, the vicar gets mad yeah. again at this accusation and turns into a wasp. Yeah. Then they run about for bit, a bit. Yeah, a bit more running about. Yeah. They love a running about. And then, using that firestone, Agatha incites the wasp to follow her. So, yeah. it's a little bit like Pertwee in his classic car. She's in an old-fashioned car. Yeah. Yeah. Drives down towards a lake and she threatens to throw the stone in and then Donna just grabs it and throws it in anyway. Yeah, and so takes affirmative action. So the wasp dives in and drowns, or yeah. we assume it does. Yeah. Does that classic thing where there's some bubbles, then the bubbles stop. Yeah. Um, Works for me. The firestone. Because. It's so confusing. Because it had given the wasp a little bit of Agatha Christie, yeah. it became linked to her. Yeah. So when the Firestone dies, it memory wipes Agatha Christie. Yeah. And that explains her disappearance, not yeah. knowing yeah. where she'd been. Yeah. That's the line short of it. I mean... If you were a child watching this, would you have understood <laughs> what is going on? No, not remotely, but it's also you probably wouldn't have bad shit mental. It is ridiculous. Um, but anyway, that pretty much wraps it up, doesn't it? That's, you know, it's not necessarily a satisfactory explanation, but it's the one we've got to work with. So then, back on the TARDIS, you know, yeah. once this is all blown over, the Doctor shows Donna book called death in the clouds yes no i didn't know that existed i had to wikipedia turns out it's real yep i've, I've read it any good yes sorry right. isn't a... it just about a man on an aeroplane and a wasp pests him no it's uh, the, the the cover that they've got i think that is like the original first edition paperback mm-hmm. cover um but it's different to the one that i read uh but it's dramatic license, basically. Uh, the, the the mode of killing, if memory serves, it's a long time ago since I read that one. I've only read a handful of Agatha Christie, but it just so happens that that's one of the ones I have read. Um, that I believe he uh, the, the victim is killed with a poison dart that is laced with a concentrated form of wasp venom. Right. I, I just quickly read, like, five sentences of the Wikipedia, yeah. and it was like... Man gets on an aeroplane and there's a wasp on the plane. Yeah, yeah I think they think he's being stung by a wasp, but it's actually a poison dart. I can't remember the last time I was stung by a wasp. When I was a kid, it seemed to happen all the time. Yeah. 
I think you were just outside more and you were annoying wasps more. Yeah. I don't know. Because uh, I, I, I was stung a few times as a kid. I've never been stung by a wasp or a bee as an adult. And I think it's just because I've grown into an enormous coward. Yeah. <laughs> I will just, if a wasp is in a room, I will just basically close the door and exist in a different room for the rest of the day and hope that the wasp is gone by the time I get back. See, this, this is going to make me sound like some sort of psychopath. Yeah. I remember when I was at university trapping a wasp in a cup. Yeah. And I was like, how can I get rid of this? So what I did was I had a sink in my room. I just filled it with really, really hot water, then put the cup on top of the water so the wasp could fly for as long as it wanted. But as soon as it stopped flying, it would be scalded to death. Oh, yeah. I make myself sound like Jigsaw or something from yeah. the Saw films. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's fairly upsetting. Yeah. But, I mean, it to passed be fair, the time. Nature's bastards. They are. They're nature's bastards. I hate them. Yeah. So. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> On that note. Yeah. That, that is. Uh, you'd go to the wasp. So. You know. So if you've got any memories of murdering <laughs> animals, just get in touch. So yeah, you you. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was better than some of the historicals, I would say. Yeah. Um. I do. As I say, I think that that denouement, that that sort of explanation at the end, is completely potty. Yeah. And does kind of just unravel it. But then, but a, a year or so ago, my wife and I went and watched Murder on the Orient Express at the cinema. Yes. And the revelation in that is absolutely bollocks as well yes, yeah, it's it like oh I mean, we're all no... linked to this woman that's not mentioned at all throughout the whole play <laughs> yeah. yeah i remember reading murder on the orange express and being quite disappointed by it yeah it's it's weird that it's become her most famous work yeah, it's overrated yeah I, I, there were definitely better poirot books than, mm. than that one but um but yeah no it's a it's a bit of fun isn't it this episode yeah and again i don't think i'd go back and purposefully watch it. No. But it's less offensive than some of the others. Fair enough. So, what are we going to be talking about next week? I've, I've forgotten. Oh, it's two parts of next week. Oh, great. Silence in the Library and The Forest of the Dead. All right. So, join us next week for that, won't you, listeners? That sounds uh, intriguing. Yeah, until then, thanks very much for listening and cheerio. Bye now. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor with Lee.